welcome to episode 117 of Friends of Film, a podcast covering the latest news and releases in the movie world. On this episode, we'll cover Pedro Pascal joining DC, Matt Damon passing on Marvel, X-Men Troubles, and more after review Ready Player One. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man who's been constantly filling out film Twitter's brackets, Josh Straley. Ah, oh, there are so many of them over the weekend. I didn't even try it like half of them. Not even just the weekend. It's been like all week. That's They've true. just taken over. I guess I'm thinking in terms of like how and March Madness operates, oh. and then like when the games are right, on, yeah. that's when they kind of flood up there because people memorize it. But it was the A24 bracket and the Pixar bracket or the Disney movie yeah. film bracket that just like made me want to claw my eyes out. Yeah, I mean that it's the interesting thing because like depending on how it's seated, depending on like mm-hmm. where certain movies stack up, like you're gonna get different outcomes. So like the original Disney pixar bracket i had toy story beating lion king but then i did another bracket and it was like i don't know if it's because of seating or if it was because it was two days later it's like now lion king wins it's like (laughs) it's it's just interesting how that plays out sometimes yeah precisely because it's like if set up any other way i mean if left to our own devices every pixar movie is gonna like kind of find a way to finesse themselves into like the top 16 or something like right. that and then you'd be like so seating is super important it really is um but hey don't forget everyone you can get all of our latest updates on facebook and twitter at friends and film where you can see how we've filled out brackets in detail yeah and be sure to check out the rest of our shows on itunes stitcher and soundcloud and if you can, on iTunes, leave us a review. It really helps. Yeah, and also be sure to check out our website, friendsoffilm.wordpress.com. Uh, we actually put up a couple of reviews this week. We, we have Josh's review for Pacific Rim Uprising still up. Uh, you can check that out as well as listen to our last episode to hear our full review on that. Then I also did a review for Steven Soderbergh's Unsane, starring Claire Foy, mm-hmm. as well as what we're here to talk about this week, Ready Player One the return of Steven Spielberg to the big blockbuster yeah. summer genre. Um, if we get into spoilers on this, I would expect us to just to talk about some of the stuff more specifically and not spoil certain key moments of the movie. Um, you'll be able to skip those spoilers. If you haven't seen the movie yet by looking at the timestamp in the description of this episode, but otherwise hopefully you have seen it. So you can stick with us through the whole review and episode. But if you have not already headed over to the website and read my review, I loved Ready Player One with almost all of my heart. Ooh, uh, it's it's not it's not a flawless movie. There are some things that I you know didn't necessarily love completely, but this was I think three on my, on my most anticipated list of the year. Yeah, it was very high up there, and I'm very happy to say that Steven Spielberg delivered in every uh, way I really wanted him to with this movie because okay. I'm going into Ready Player One, seeing the trailers and knowing the premise just wanting a nostalgia hit, just wanting Steven Spielberg to, you know, knock me off my seat and just be like, wow, this is, this is the blockbusters that made Steven Spielberg who he is. Like, yeah, he's delivered on those hard dramas Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the years. But really when you think of Steven Spielberg and Steven Spielberg movies, you think of ET, Indiana Jones, Jaws, Uh, you think of these bigger movies not necessarily right. you know Munich or um Schindler's List or The Post or A Color Purple like you don't you don't think of those you think of these big spectacle movies that you know really make you want to go to a theater eat a bunch of popcorn and just mm-hmm. enjoy yourself and that's exactly what Ready Player 1 did for me I mean 
I can't think of. I'll be very surprised. Not one of, if not the favorite moment of Indie Wars. Probably gonna have one or two sequences <laughs> that could, will, will top it for me. But Dregs he threw in there and mm-hmm. twists and turns and how great it all looked um, in the Oasis. I think that sequence really it starts off the movie not right away, but the first. 10 minutes it starts yeah and from there on out i was locked in because he steven spielberg makes the oasis such a cool place that you want to just live in not <laughs> in more ways than one like you i want that movie to take place entirely in there because it's such a cool world but then also i want the oasis you know to be real so that i can you know go in there and sure. make a character and go visit all these cool worlds because he just makes it such an appealing place um, which I think you know then ties into like the overarching message of this movie that like this is all great the digital age um, going online seeing these big spectacle things but people can't get too involved in this they can't become too obsessed with the, being offline they still need this real world interaction to really live life mm-hmm. um, which I thought that was a good message for this movie to send and one that. I think is pretty clear by the end of this movie that that's what Steven Spielberg wants this movie to be about. More, not necessarily, look how cool all this is. Can't you wait to do this? It's it's cool, but don't focus entirely on it. You still have to be yourself and exist outside of virtual reality or whatever is else to come in the future of technological advances. It's still going to be the offline world, the real world that really matters, not you know, finding an Easter egg or getting the keys to some kingdom, even though, yeah, it'd be cool if you're worth of stake in the biggest yeah. technological company in the world. Like, yeah, that's great. And difficult to completely judge the performances because it is, you know, basis. Yeah. And so then you're really just judging like voiceover work. So <laughs> right. it's, 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 it's kind of difficult to not play Parzival. I thought Ty Sheridan really delivered. Olivia Cook, I thought was really good as Samantha, you know, it's again another villain role for him, but I really liked what he did there. Um, probably the best acting performance. Probably, yeah. I mean, he's physical most of the game, right? Yeah. So, uh, or the movie. Most of the movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, which I think probably is why I think that. But anyway, right. Sorry. Um, but you know, some of the casting I didn't love. Like I thought T.J. Miller was kind of miscast as the voice of this like giant death hitman right. named Iraq. It's like. His jokey attitude, uh, his voice just didn't fit with that character. I would have loved to see somebody else tackle that role. I think it would have made him work a little bit better for me. I have a question for you real quick on him. Do you think his role was cut down in the movie? Maybe. Because I think it could have worked if he was shown in real life to be kind of like the big person, like like a lard type of a couch potato. Because like that's... I mean, that's kind of the persona that T.J. Miller gives off. Like, right. It'd be understandable. <laughs> so I'm wondering if they cut all that out to, and then just kind of let him be, oh, let's not show the guy who's right. dealing with some uh, harassment issues in right. the movie. So I just wondered if, okay. I, I think, I mean, since you bring it up, I do think that's a very real possibility. It's not necessarily the main reason I think he didn't work for me. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, having more of him w- could have helped, but I mean, even... I don't know. You're getting into the line of like how, if you if you focus too much on him, then we're losing parts of Parzival's arc or Samantha's arc. Yeah. Um, 
Hannah John Kamen's character, she gets just like pushed to the side. I didn't think she gave that gave that work that she, even when she's on screen, like she doesn't get that much to do. And it's mm-hmm. like you don't really matter. Disappointing, but overall, I was locked in from a visual perspective. I saw it in IMAX 3D. Yeah, IMAX was great. I mean, the final battle is insane. Uh, there's a very, very, very cool. Uh, a, a recreation of a movie. Oh yeah. Uh, that when it happened, I was like, what? Like, how are they doing this? Um, which I was not expecting. I know it's, it's a change from the book. So if you've read the book, you're not going to know what they're doing necessarily, but it, it was, it was very cool how that, how they did that all. I thought Spielberg really knocked it out of the park here. Um, including all the cameos too many for me to even see. I don't know how, like if you look at the wiki page for this movie, how they caught some of these references, I have no idea because they're they're these things just fly by so quickly that it's not even that's not even what it's about to me is just, you know all the Easter eggs and everything. It's just mm-hmm. about the fun and on that aspect, I thought Ready Player One really delivered, and I'm going to give it four and a half ticket stubs out of five. All right, stellar. Um, I thought it was really interesting what you said because now that I start to think about it, in this century, Steven Spielberg is a high drama director yeah the closest thing to a i mean we know him from some animated features uh tintin yeah the adventures of tintin he did so good did polar express or is that not him that's not him that's not him but there's the adventures of tintin mm-hmm. which is okay or good i, I, I think All Tintin's right. great it's really fun and then we have indiana jones mm-hmm. and then like you know bfg is like the non-blockbuster right. wannabe. <laughs> okay, so that's three films that are probably targeted towards the 13 to 14, 15 side of the demographic. And yeah, like you said, this is the first time I've actually gotten to be um, caught up in a Spielberg adventure film, you know, really, since yeah. Jurassic Park or E.T. or anything like that. And I mean, I feel like for me, it's the first time I've ever been swept up in theaters by a Spielberg film. Yes, that's that's I think that's what I'm looking for here. Um and I love the feeling. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's the feeling of like cuz when Jurassic Park was re-released in 3D, you know, the grand vision of him on that big screen is so cool to see. Mm-hmm. And then but I'd already felt and experienced it all. Right. This time it was new. This time it was the first. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself the entire way through the film Um, or the movie as Spielberg wants to call it. But it is, it's mindless entertainment, but exquisitely fun. Mm -hmm. Um, You talked about the racing scene. Uh, It was all happening. It all just kind of happens like a, um, like a vomit (laughs) in a lot of ways, (laughs) but it's still captivating to watch just wrecking balls fly through and tyrannosauruses and giant um um you know i'm trying to think trying to think about spoilers here but right uh it just all collide in um and it's so cool so cool um Tyre sheridan he does fine like you said it's really hard to judge performances throughout this movie but he's he's good but it's olivia cook yeah, who blew uh, me away just from her, uh, not so much that her, her role outside of the game, um, the Oasis, mm-hmm. 
is more captivating than Tyler Sheridan's Wade Watts's character. Well, and she is the one that really kind of opens up the you mm-hmm. know the actual story that Spiller wants to get across here. Right. This is a war. This isn't just a game. Yeah, absolutely. And then also some aspects about her life um, outside of the Oasis too are like. Yeah, that's one of the reasons people play video games. And then mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, what's Wade's whole point to this? He just knows a lot about Holiday. That's it. And he's just, I almost thought it could have worked better the other way around. But okay. anyway, Cook was, uh, yeah, phenomenal. Um, some of the lines in this movie are just kind of like so gamery that I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I'll talk about one here in a minute. Um, and then I'll point you to a very funny article. But the they rearranged so much of the book and it was so excellently done. The Ready Play the, the novel by Ernest Klein is a is a tedious love le- not even love letter cataloging of everything that that man enjoyed mm-hmm. in the eighties. This is a streamlined, incredibly succinct version of all of that. Um, and Zach Penn, Spielberg, and Klein should you know like really uh, pat themselves on the back. But yeah, um, Easter eggs. All like video game moments, all these things from like, oh, I, that's a good joke. Like, think, like mm-hmm. things like that. And it, it is nostalgia um, porn, really. And, you know, it, you, it feels like it's welcoming and like warm in a lot of ways because you're like, oh, I get all of this. But right. there's still enough new, new aspects that are brought in by the Oasis. Mm-hmm. They're like, I can identify with that or I can, like, there's still room for discovery and the technologies and all of that. So it's really brought out in that way. And you're just on this adventure like, yeah, go get those keys, dude. And yeah. you can, you almost can feel personally involved in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think that the um, end message that Spielberg, I think you said that you felt like he was trying to get across, mm-hmm. was done so well. Okay. I think it could have been a little bit harder, um, especially uh, in terms of... Uh, culture aspects of it because like Columbus Ohio is sort of like a ghetto right. type of a world there and I felt like they should have spoken more about their surroundings okay more but you know um, I guess that's getting tedious at that point uh, but yeah that's what I've got to say before we can, so we can get into spoilers here so I can annotate because that's really where I want to <laughs> express some um, fun for this but I've got it at four ticket stubs okay well, um, but yeah there we go. So then let's move into spoilers here. Uh, so we can just kind of talk about some of our favorite moments of it. I don't think we really need to get too much into, you know, breaking down the plot or anything here. Okay, yeah. In terms of spoilers, just more so we can talk about mm-hmm. all the fun reveals and Easter eggs and twists right. and uh, mentions. Which one really stood out to you? It was what you said, the re- the recreation of sp- the guy, the director, Stanley Kubrick's yeah. The Shining. Shining. Um, it starts off, it's one of the trials they get uh-huh. to based off, and then, you know, like the trivia of like, you actually even told me this, that it was Stephen King's most hated adaption mm-hmm. of his, um, books. Yeah. I was like, oh, hey, Cooper told me that <laughs> while we were talking about it. Uh, but I don't know how they did it, but they dropped you into what looked like they were. It looks like a real set. Or either a real set or some, fi- found some way to posit the film right. and their characters into it uh-huh. in a lot of ways. I mean, it was incredible. But you're watching them play this horror game in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. a horror game, as they're like moving through it. And I'm just like, oh, don't follow those kids. Right. And then as, uh, who is it? Um, it uh, 
it's Lena uh, race character. Yes. Uh, I can't think of her name. But she's her avatar is fo- or, uh, following him down the hall there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, don't go there. Don't yeah. go there. Don't go there. Don't follow those kids. Don't go to the elevators. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, it was it was like really, I don't know. It was just really fascinating how they pulled that all off. Because you know what to expect. Oh, but yeah. at the same time, you're like, these dumb kids don't know anything. And it was just really, really fun. Yeah, I mean, right when... I mean, she goes into when H goes into the uh, you know, room two thirty seven. It's like, right. no, <laughs> yes. no, don't go in there. <laughs> like, we all know what's happening, mm-hmm. and like, uh, like the vi- like the visuals of it. I thought you know were top notch there. Uh, the recreation of it, however they did it, um, and I mean, yeah, it was just so it was super fun to go into that world, but like through a different lens. And then you know, once she realizes that like this is like a horror movie that like there's all these traps and like the way they, they transition her from like two thirty seven then to the, the frozen maze mm-hmm. and then pulling her back out. And then like, they're mad at her cause she's never seen the movie. It's right. like, like you idiot. <laughs> like this is all your fault. Uh, it, it was just so well done that it's like really cool. Even though it's blade runner in the book, right? Well, they're in the book. There's, each challenge is actually like a recreation of a movie. Oh, okay. Um, I read I I'd read or heard that for this one, it was supposed to be Blade, it's Blade Runner in the book. And then I was thinking like, wow, that would have been really cool to see Spielberg reimagine the back. world of Blade Runner. Uh, I think in the book, well, at least the most tedious and long one is uh-huh. where he has to basically do like recreate the movie War Games. Okay like line for line and then do every action. And I'm like, okay, this is a much better way to go yeah. about it. But there's also three other movies that they have to, um, dive deep dive into. Mm-hmm. But war games is the only one where they have to like re, uh, re go through it. Right. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah, the shining sequence just really stood out to me as I think kind of what I wanted this movie to be in a lot of ways, but then also going back to the car race, like, that was just so fun. Like mm-hmm. I, there were, I was just like right when it started and I could really kick to the high gear. Like we had saw bits and pieces of it throughout the marketing, obviously, cause it's a big set piece to kind yeah. of sell, like look at what Spielberg's doing now, but like the way it plays in theaters, the way it's shot, it's just like Spielberg still got it. Like right. not like, like he lost it or anything, but again, like we've seen him go more towards the drama period, you know, serious sides recently. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, after all these years, like he hasn't done a big blockbuster since, you know, probably like crystal skull. Right. So it's like, can he still do this a decade later? But really it's like, he's going back to like minority report type of action and spectacle here that like, and yeah, he still can. And it's like, that's super exciting. Right. And it's just the distinct way of like, even though there's chaos going around you, he knows where to. He knows what moment to show you. What's mm-hmm. important for you to get, like a, a like a sense and a feeling of action. Yeah. And even though all that chaos is going on, and I thought, oh, am I going to be able to even pay attention to this here? Mm-hmm. I'm like, my eyes on that Delorean the entire <laughs> yeah. time. Even though things are dropping and falling and swinging around it, I'm like, oh, okay, everything. Everything's blowing up, and he's just skating by, perfect. And yeah. so when Kong and the Tyrannosaurus Rex come out of mm-hmm. nowhere, you're just like. Oh man, this is fantastic! Yeah, it's 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 so it's just so fun. I love. Then we got to see the reverse angle of it when he 
goes reverse to get the key the first time and then like we're seeing the underworkings of it mm-hmm. and like seeing it as like the base level of a video game basically and it's like that was just a very cool way to see it then uh you know with another take yeah absolutely so um i also love the zemeckis cube um and that dance sequence that comes right before it that, oh yeah i thought that was really fun uh as well and then i mean the last battle is i mean just insane i mean when we get iron giant versus mecha godzilla it's just like <laughs> right. what like oh and i loved the 11 year old oh <laughs> that yeah was like um, the like the show basically nin- yeah, the ninja yeah, guy it's like it's like, oh. like that like it's like what do i need to wear a sign that says yay i'm 11 <laughs> shoot me first <laughs> yeah yes i was like oh i love this um and then like it gets really uh into the nitty-gritty details of like you know how gamer culture and how lives are lived online. And some of that is really good. And then other parts of it, it's just kind of like, uh, this is a bit inaccessible. And that's where and it that, lost you. And that's where it lost me a lot of ways where they're shouting and saying things where I'm like, you know, I know that, but at the same time, I don't know if I like really know that. Okay. And, um, it just sounds like gobbledygook when you hear people <laughs> trying to have a conversation with yeah. it instead of just like reading it off of a screen right. or doing it. Like explaining it is a lot harder than just absorbing just doing it. it. Yeah, and a, a lot of ways it's kind of like, oh yeah, that really pains me. Mm-hmm. But it really lost me um, when Wade is speaking to Ben Mendelsohn's character Sorrento. Yeah. And I don't know what the lead up to specifically was, but Ben Mendelsohn's like, hey, I'll give you money if you come work for us mm-hmm. and help us find all the Easter eggs in this video game. Yeah. And then Wade says, no, I'm not going to do that. A fanboy knows a hater. Yeah. And when it, or, and then I'm like, oh, that just sounded, I like, it was like grating on my ears <laughs> to hear that said seriously. And the, that whole moment just like totally evaporated for me. Did you like how he was able to call out that he had ears in his ears in him? That was like feeding him all these facts. Yeah, I mean that was like a good thing, and it was I like kind that was of fun a, that he's like yes. testing his fanboy knowledge. Like, all right, if you really want to win this, like you would know what high schools in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I was like, I surely don't. Right. But like, you know, he does. And like the cut back to like this like fever group of nerds. Just like, <laughs> yes. it's this and this and this. And they're using reference from this movie and it, it ties into this. And it's like, I thought that, I thought that was fun. Yeah, it, it, it was. But at the same time, like, oh, it's kind of like almost elevating or exalting like Wikipedia knowledge in like a lot of ways. But I also did appreciate that Mendelssohn is kind of me sometimes where right. I'm just like, like, I mean, we'll get to the new section later. Like, yeah, and, I know this. <laughs> and I've just studied it up through the first week right. of like knowledge. It was like, and I'm here like spitting out my thoughts on it. So I was like, okay, that's a good, that's a good parody of yeah. it all. So it was balanced, but at the same time, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I liked know. how they, uh, re like how they duped him by like hacking his, that was super. I was cool. like, I was like, that's like, that's very cool, and I love that then he was able to figure out by seeing the reflection. I was mm-hmm. like, that's a little dumb on your guys' part for leaving that door open. Right. But at the same time, like, it, it made for a very fun uh, way to kind of hack everything. Yeah, and um, and the best part of that whole thing is is how the hacking takes place mm-hmm. is Ben Mendelsohn is still the old dude in this movie, and he writes his password down on a post-it yeah. sticky note and puts it right on his computer. 
<laughs> and I was like, okay, that's that's pretty yeah. clever. Yeah, it was, it was pretty nice. Um, but then you also said, just kind of wrap this up, that the ending, you don't you didn't think it worked as well? Yeah, I think it needed to be a little bit more poignant um, about how... I mean, they sort of talk about it, but it's not really expressed. Mm-hmm. They shut down the... Oasis, Oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Thursdays yep. to promote, you know, um, making out. <laughs> yeah, making out. Or, yeah, in, in the, in the uh, Olivia Cook and Sheridan's case. Uh, yeah, but like a look up type of an attitude yeah. to it. But also, there was I thought a really good strain or topic of conversation about, like I said earlier, like exalting like knowledge like that. Mm-hmm. It's sort of tedious, and it's sort of like you know, this, at the end of this, it kind of feels like a a rally around people who obsess over it and right. Um, in our world today, yell at people in comment sections. Uh, and I felt like they could have talked back about that, but also emphasized more that these are ultimately products to sell to people. Mm-hmm. And we saw that with Sorrento's character. Oh my gosh. He's like, with, we can uh, we can take up 80% of the viewer. I was like, oh no. Yeah, with ad space and things like that. And I'm like, oh no, call attention to that more. Yeah, I was like, I could actually see this like in the future. Right, you know, microtransactions yeah. and things like that. And parried that with their world is basically, I mean, their, their world is basically just trailers stacked on top of each mm-hmm. other with no real quality of living and maybe make a connection towards corporations and like you know real um real value right which sort of like episode two of the first season of black mirror with uh david or daniel kaluuya mm-hmm. in that sort of a prospect yeah. i would have liked that more but that's just me being like that well, that's me thinking oh well we have black mirror for that right this is a spielberg <laughs> action film or yeah. you know adventure film so that's sort of just wishful thinking yeah, or uh, projecting yeah jumping back to the stacks real quick i kind of mm-hmm. wish they would have Showed a little bit more of Wade dealing with the loss of his aunt and his, her boyfriend. boyfriend. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, they died and it's like not really mentioned. But then going back to what you're talking about before and like the, the Wikipedia facts and everything and the memorization of all this stuff, I would be interested to see then, you know, if we get a sequel to this. I mean, I think they've already, Ernest Klein has already started to write a sequel novel hmm. um, now. So I, and that this movie is supposed to open to 50 plus million dollars this first weekend. Um, it's already performing pretty well overseas. So I think there's a somewhat decent chance we can get one as long as it can have some legs. But then like, because I, th- I think, you know, the way I interpreted it with this movie was all of these like facts and obsessing over holiday was people trying to find these three secret, secret keys and win the, win the Oasis for themselves. So now that like, Wade has done that. Like, does that become less of this like major focus, and it's now just people enjoying this, you know, new creative world? Oh, so it's open for exploration now, right? Because now that because now the purpose there's no real purpose to the Oasis other than escapism. Yeah, it's not like oh I, we need to get in here because if we do it we can win a prize and mm-hmm. we can get rich. It's not just you know I can go in here after a long day of work, right? And you know go surfing on vacation island or whatever it's called like i think that i think that would be something interesting to see explored and then it can kind of step away from the obsessing over you know all this other stuff oh it's actually uh this person did this Mm -hmm. in this other movie and it's not this it's like you know it's not that fanboy correct it you know attitude all the time yeah that's a really good point too and then that that way there's um it reminds me of like the Patton oswald wired article which is i don't know if you've ever read it 
don't think so. Okay, well, anyway, he just says I thought that, you were going Parks and Rec. Oh, um, no. <laughs> that monologue. would be awesome, though. I want that. But he wrote a piece in Wired, and basically some of it is we need to let our current pop culture crash and burn and like cross over and just totally dilute itself mm-hmm. so people will start creating new things. Right. And that's a really – they have a perfect launch point for that now, and that goes mm-hmm. right to what you're saying. Now Ready Player Two, if you right. will, can be about – people's limitless imaginations mm-hmm. inside the oasis right it's now like that holidays baton has been passed and we don't really know what all you can do in the oasis i mm-hmm. mean we saw mainly just the hunt for these keys so it's like you know is i mean we saw minecraft or um was it minecraft minecraft world? minecraft yep. world so like is like can users just create you know structures systems whatever it is like can they do that or do they just have to buy everything uh, does that change under wade's ruling i think those are all interesting things you could play with with the sequel which you know obviously i mean i love this first movie mm-hmm. i would really love to see spielberg return to direct it if it gets if it happens because i think there's 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 that spielberg magic that would come with it but i also don't know if it's dependent on spielberg directing it to get a successful sequel uh, yes. Yeah, so, Maybe to get it greenlit? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. At least produce it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the yeah, and especially, too, because anybody else directing this film would have gone with a different score, too. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that. I'm like, this is like a... It, William started on it, and then Silverstein... Or Silvestri. Silvestri picked up on mm-hmm. it. Um, luckily, so we didn't get anything. We got something more traditional and more... Um, I don't know. I thought I thought it was more evocative yeah. than just you know Skrillex blaring around <laughs> or whatever the case is. So I I wonder what a sequel would be like, but mm-hmm. I would hope yeah Spielberg's EPing on it and yeah we get something exactly along. These yeah, lines. I think I think he would definitely still EP, um, but then I because I mean he he's going to be doing Indiana Jones five next year as well as probably the West Side Story mm-hmm. remake. Um, you know, I'm sure he has a bunch of other passion projects he wants to get off the ground. Yep. So, like, you know, if this movie it does do really well at the box office, or at least good enough to get a sequel, you know, I don't, I don't think Warner Brothers, right? Is, yep. I don't think they would be like, yeah, we can wait around while like they're you know, you know, running in circles trying to get the DC universe <laughs> figured out. If they have a successful franchise potentially on their hands, I think they're going to want to capitalize on it really quickly. Oh yeah. You know, and get that off the ground somehow. So. Yeah, like Lord and Miller for a sequel. They would be perfect. I, I, I they agree. would be. That's the perfect. Name. I think they would do something super fun with it, and I think then they could update it even more to like bring in more references from mm-hmm. like this current age of pop culture, right? Because um, like Spielberg said, like he didn't want to go too heavy on that kind of stuff because it's what you know the novels based in the in the in the eighties, you know, nostalgia, but then also like. You know, he's like, oh, but I don't want to f- use these new generation of Star Wars characters because they're too new. And it's like, right. I don't buy yeah. that for a second. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, he on. didn't even get anything Star Wars into this other than just name drops. No, uh, there's a uh, there's an X-wing in there, and you can hear you a can Tie hear, Fighter scream. You can hear a Tie Fighter screech yeah. during the final battle because, like, that's in the final battle or. I think it's actually like a sh- there's a shot of a planet and everyone's like flying to it. Maybe that's what it it's is. It's where the casino is or the dance club is. Oh, okay. Because yeah. it's, it's... I missed the X-Wing though. Shoot. I, I, I did not see it personally. Apparently R2-D2's in there as well. Ah. Um, but I think all that stuff is just like that final battle mayhem. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like, wait until July when this comes out on Blu-ray. You can go frame by frame at your, right. on your Blu-ray player. Like, 
that's when we're going to find most of the stuff i think which again i don't think is the point of this movie so i'm totally fine with not having to like oh i need to see every single easter egg because it, it <laughs> right. doesn't matter it's just fun stuff to kind of think about and yeah. play with so uh we both really enjoyed ready player one obviously that's all we have for our review and we'll be right back oh also yes when you end your movie with hollow notes that's a good movie <laughs> there we go on that note then enjoy a bit of Sylvester's score as we wait for the news back with the news and as always we're gonna start with ticket or skip it this week we only have two trailers to talk about both first trailers for movies we have yet to talk about on the podcast starting with the first trailer for eli ross the house with a clock in its walls starring kate blanchett and jack black josh ticket or skip it skip it it's got kate blanchett lovely Jack Black, he's on a roll. I mean, at least in a lot of ways. He's on a one-hit roll. <laughs> right. Uh, but I feel oh, there's also the Poker King, which he's delightful in. Um, and, you know, it looks interesting. Uh, I want to know why there's an octopus in the walls or in the yeah. closet. There's the ticking in the hallways. And those dolls coming at him, like, ready to, like, kill him, I think. Mm-hmm. One of those shots. That looks completely menacing and apparently Kyle McLaughlin's in this film somewhere mm-hmm. maybe the baddie I don't know probably but it's, it's not it doesn't feel compelling okay um Eli Roth uh not just haven't been a fan of his yet mm-hmm. other than his inglorious bastards performance but other than right. that you know uh I, I can't get on board the train for this what about you um I'm going to lean towards a ticket. Oh, okay. Um, because I thought that this, uh, kind of going back to our Ready Player One discussion, this just kind of looks like a fun like family movie, kind mm-hmm. of almost in the vein of, um, you know, what Goosebumps was, ironically, with Jack Black yeah. uh, in 2016. So, like, it had kind of those fun, fantastical vibes to it. And, like, you know, I think Kate Blanchett and Jack Black look really good in those roles and then mm-hmm. the the kid is uh from daddy's uh home yeah daddy's home one two yeah so i'm like you know i think he'll play a very different character there but in here but I mean, he's he's fine in those movies so it's not like you know he's a bad you know kid actor who's gonna you know, at, gotcha. be asked to carry the load plus trailer features jack black throwing a fireball like that's i don't know to <laughs> me that's something i want to see on the big screen so what more do audience need uh, I will give it a ticket for now, uh, even though I would agree with you that, you know, Eli Roth is not necessarily the my favorite director, necessarily. Right. I mean, I, I watched Knock Knock a couple of weeks ago, did, thought that was pretty bad, um, and I don't really know if I've even seen any of his other movies, so he still has to prove it with me. I mean, I didn't think death wish looked particularly interesting Um, and it didn't get very good reviews or anything. So, but again, this looks like a different direction for him instead of going straight up horror or all these kind of darker elements. It looks like he's going a little dark, but he's going more family friendly fun instead. And that looks like it could work. Okay. So then moving on to the darkest minds, Got its first trailer this week along with some images from EW. 
This one is the live-action directorial debut by Jennifer U. Nelson, who is best known for directing Kung Fu Panda 2 and 3. What about this one? Ticket. Yeah, this looks like Chronicle, but a little bit more optimistic and a lot more coming of age, I think, yeah. probably. But it's set in the apocalypse mm-hmm. or some kind of apocalypse. But and it reteams um, Amanda Stenburn and Nick Robinson from that Everything Everything movie. Nick Robinson in this? Yeah, I think so. Isn't he the? He's not the. He's not the lead. He's not the white kid. Uh uh-uh. uh That's not him. Uh uh-uh. It looks. I thought like the him. same thing, but it's not him. Oh snap! Okay, well it's not Nick Robinson. A Nick Robinson lookalike stand-in, <laughs> maybe interchangeable. But I haven't seen Love Simon yet, so I don't want to dog too hard on his I mean, he's gotten, chops. You know, good. Good word out of there. Okay, yeah, all right. So, anyway, point being, it looks intriguing enough. I'm a sucker for superhero films um, of any kind, especially when they're low to the ground and um, have some kind of, I don't know, mystery to them in a lot of ways. It's also got producers from Stranger Things and uh, Arrival, which Mm -hmm. is like a... It's uh, uh, it's Sean Sean Levy. Okay, I mean, well, it's not... I think. It's not like... Denny Villeneuve or right. like that that's producing. It's but not Denny Villeneuve and the Duffer Brothers are behind this. Precisely. It's more of a selling point for those two aspects. But I like mysteries. I like puzzles. And this looks like yeah. it looks like a one at the heart of this to get me to it. So yeah, ticket. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm gonna give this a ticket as well. All this right. one uh you know, it wasn't gonna make my most anticipated the year list, but it was one I was, you know, interested in based on the premise. Um and the fact that it was Jennifer Hugh Nelson's, you know, taking the jump to live action, um, which I think she looks like she's going to do a good job with based on this trailer, because um, I think Amanda Sternberg and Harris Dickinson, not Nick Robinson, really, um, looks like him. He, he I mean, kind of n- not on this picture that I'm looking at, but I mean, that's just that. I mean, but i again it's it's that superhero element to it i think looks fun i like how there's like these different classes so they're basically like classing children as like nuclear weapons or whatever so it's like all right here's the blues here's the reds here's the oranges it's mm-hmm. like okay that's cool and interesting and then i love that like the kids are even embracing that with like you know painting parts of their body whatever color they're coated <laughs> so yeah. like they can kind of be identified as whatever sort of threat they are um you know, EW kind of talked about this in like a, a breakdown article where they released the first images for this movie and everything where like um, Amanda Stenberg's character Ruby is like an orange class. So she's like the the most powerful of uh, type of, you know, enhanced individual you can get in this universe where okay. she can um, control people's minds or she can at least go get in there and see their thoughts and everything. So then like, but then uh, Harris Dickinson's character, Liam, is the one, is the class right below her, which is blue. And so then he can, I think, manipulate things with his mind. So he yeah. can, like, you know, move a chair. Or, he's pulling her towards her right. across, like, the dance floor. So, or like, like that. yeah. Um, but then, like, I think it was, I don't, I think it was Hugh Nelson who talked about it in the EW article that, like, the YA, you know, young adult love aspect of this movie then becomes complicated when your female lead could read the mind <laughs> of hmm. her love interest. Like, so how's that going to, you know, complicate things potentially. Plus this has Mandy Moore as like her mentor oh, nurse yeah. character. And I, I think Mandy Moore's great. Also Gwendolyn Christie is listed in here as 
on IMDb. Oh, she would make a fantastic. Uh, I don't know if she's the villain. Her character's name is Lady Jane. So I think that's cool. Get to yeah. see more Gwendolyn Christie. Absolutely. Outside of the Phasma helmet. Right, exactly. And then she's made her untimely exit. So Yeah, uh, supposedly. You supposedly. But yeah, uh, anything with her. Please, especially since Game of Thrones is so far away. Yeah, I mean, this movie Yeah, this movie's going to come out, uh, I think, August or September of this year. So it's going to be out well before we get Season 9 of Game of Thrones. So uh, I'm, I'm all born for this. It's a ticket as well. Um, so then we'll move on to the news, which big news for DC this week, as reported by Variety. They were able to snag Pedro Pascal for Wonder Woman 2 in an unknown role. Director Patty Jenkins and Pascal have since both confirmed his addition, not saying who he's playing, but rumors are that his character's name is Rex in the script and that he's some sort of businessman or con man or something along those lines. You're obviously excited about this. Yes. Do you have any theories on who he could be playing? I have no theories. I didn't do any research on this, actually. But But it's uh, Pedro. It's Pedro Pascal. He's my favorite... Favorite? He's not my favorite, but I just like him a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, I was going to see what caveat you're going to throw in yeah, favorite. <laughs> I know. I mean, because like, a lot of people are my favorites. But he's my favorite next Netflix he drama actor. Favorite Narcos actor? Favorite Narcos actor, but I think favorite Netflix drama actor. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, I can say that. I can say that with 100% because, I mean, obviously, um, there's... Spacey's no longer uh, out there. So, yeah, I can <laughs> say Robin that officially. Well, I guess actor, actress. I'm going to make the distinction the between actor okay. and actress there. Fair. Okay. Um, and his movie roles have just been terrible lately. I mean, The Great Wall, like, uh, bad. His role in Kingsman, I'm like, yes, he's going to be all over this, but he's got like 10 minutes. Turns out he's not, not 15 minutes. He's in that movie a lot. Nah. I mean, it's not to my liking anyway. He's um, more than Channing Tatum. <laughs> yeah, that's true. A lot more. But he turns out to be the villain and yeah. meets a gruesome death like we got in Game of Thrones, which wasn't really great. Uh, but he's gonna have he's got a good year coming up. He's got some equalizer role uh, mm-hmm. that I don't know about just yet. But this is perfect. I ho- hope he's like a cunning like con man, like you said, yeah. street smarts, Wonder Woman, um, new love fixer. interest, new love interest, maybe possibly that would be sweet. But or villain. I can't handle a villain. Please don't want to be a villain. I don't want it to be a villain. But anyway, the dude's so cool. Um, and I am stoked that he's finally in a superhero film. I would bet that he's a villain. Oh, is Rex some awful person? Nah, not, oh, okay. not that anybody knows. I mean, Got it. Rex <laughs> is just Rex for now. I mean, until proven otherwise. But um, so that, I mean, that could mean a number of things. It could mean that his... The reported character name that's out there is just a placeholder in the script for whatever reason. Uh, that that character name is fake. That he's using a cover because he's you know some clever businessman. That you know he's operating under an alias. Whatever it is, I think Pedro is a great uh, actor. So yes. I'm excited to see him join Wonder Woman two. I think it helps bolster that cast. The fact that you'll have him, Godot, Wig, and Chris Pine, um, plus who knows who else. Like you know it's. It's look. It's looking good. It's looking good for the sequel. Um, yeah, I think he will play a villain role. Whether or not he's the villain role remains to be seen. I think they've we've kind of heard that Kristen Wiig's the villain, right? But like, is she really? 
I don't know. I don't necessarily completely buy that Cheetah's the big bad of this uh, movie, which could lead to who he is actually playing. Okay. Cheetah. You think he's playing Cheetah? He's playing another Cheetah. Is there like a panther Cheetah? There's multiple Cheetahs. Is there well, a male version of Cheetah? There is. Named Rex? Named Sebastian Ballesteros. Oh, no. From Argentina. Oh, that's definitely him then. And he is a business tycoon. Ah, oh, jeez. So he's Cheetah 2.0. Oh. He is Kristen Wiig's archaeological partner as they stumble into the remains of Cheetahville, wherever the Cheetah thing is. It's in and some weird fake country. It starts with a U. Uh, Ugandoria. It's like Ugandansen or okay, something. Got it. I don't know. Uzakistan. Something like that. Okay, sure. I just combined Pakistan and <laughs> a U. You put a U in front of it. <laughs> but anyway, okay, yeah, that sounds right. Um, Me and Sebastian, and all right. Yeah, so I th- if that's the role he plays, which I th- I think that's the best theory out there, um, you know, he, in the comics, Sebastian takes the mantle of Cheetah away from Barbara Ann Minerva, who's believed to be the character that Wig is going to be playing, at least that version of Cheetah. Um, so that would make sense to me, because why I think it would it'd make more sense to me that Kristen Wig's not the villain and that she's like more the best friend type that turns out to be like, you know, some sort of an antagonist, but that, you know, Diana's obviously reluctant to really go up against because she's like, she was my best friend, and I think it. You know, we know from like Justice League and stuff that, you know, over the years, uh, Diana has taken an interest in you know artifact keeping, artifacts, yeah. and finding all these you know ancient things. So like, if there's some sort of relic out there that you know exposes oh, this, yeah. they could be on that adventure to find a relic, stumble across this uh, place, have this ritual go down, have her become Cheetah, but really. And then, like, have Sebastian also be on the hunt for that, and then finding mm-hmm. out that they just beat him to it, and that, but, and he knew about the curse. He was going there to become Cheetah originally, and then it's like him trying to take that mantle from him. But then, like, Diana maybe has to protect Cheetah some more. Mm. But then, like, Cheetah doesn't want to be protected and has to fight. So there's like that nice uh, back and forth between like all three parties. There yeah. would make sense. Plus, in the comics, Sebastian is works for Cersei. Which you know there was those in, those, those early theories mm-hmm. that the working title for this was Magic Hour. Does that mean Cersei? If it's not, you know, Cersei, the main villain of this movie, because if you're having Kristen Wiig Cheetah and you're having Sebastian uh, Sebastian Balestros Cheetah, do you really have another room for a third villain? Probably right. not. But then third movie, yeah, Cersei setups already there. In some cases, it would make perfect sense to me. Um, for that to be the route they go. Sweet. But if it's not, you could also go like Vandal Savage, who this who's this like time traveling uh immortal genius guy. Ooh. Um, which would I think give Pedro a longer lasting role in the DCU because he could be kind of this continuing big bad. Um, where I think if he is Sebastian, he would just be kind of a one off. Yeah. Um, which maybe would be why he would sign up because mm. you know he doesn't want to commit to something super long, but we don't know. All I know is it's Pedro Pascal, and I'm excited that he's joined the Same cast. Here. Something I'm not excited about. Oh. And speaking of possible villain casting in a superhero movie. And speaking of the Great Wall. Speaking of the Great Wall, all these all of these ties 
Jeff Snyder said on Meet the Movie Press this week that Marvel and Sony for the last couple of weeks had been eyeing Matt Damon to play the villain in Spider-Man Homecoming 2, whatever you want to call it, Spider-Man Homecoming sequel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, though, he is said to have passed on the role for now. Oh, Matt. What are you doing? Yeah, seriously. He's he's literally doing nothing. (laughs) He's got an Ocean's 8 cameo this year. That's it. He has no other projects on the horizon. He did, he, he starred in four films last year. We reviewed so just, or three, three films last year. Yeah, we reviewed them all. We reviewed them all, and we did not say anything. Oh, we didn't talk about some uh, downsizing. Okay, but we were not polite to the two that we saw. And downsizing is not good either. And downsizing is not good either. Jason Bourne was extremely bland. Yep, and it disappointed me. So he was in four films last year. Well, I think Jason Bourne was the summer before. Oh yeah, okay. But point being, the man has not been on a hot streak at all. No. The best thing, the most liked thing that he has done lately is his cameo in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. And here, I mean, Rob uh, Harvilla for The Ringer kind of posted the thing like, what's the next step for Matt Damon? Yeah. Um, He put that out in January. And Mm -hmm. as soon as I saw this, it made me think of it. And it's, yes, it's pivot, dude. You are slowing down your Jason Bourne films. You're not the hero you once were. I mean, there's never going to be another Jason Bourne movie. I, I would I would not be surprised if that were the case. It's time That's to... That's how they do the old man Jason Bourne. Right. <laughs> origin. Jason Bourne year one <laughs> in 20 yes. years. Starring, you know, um, Starring Jacob back. Tremblay as... Uh, as a 13-year-old. Right. He's 13 now. Yeah, whatever, exactly. So. They'll re- yeah. retrace the steps of his father and <laughs> yeah. everything like that. But yeah, like listen, Matt Damon, Matt Damon has not been in a well-reviewed movie in well, unless you count Ragnarok, like a century. Right. It seems he hasn't, like he hasn't been in he hasn't been a prominent role in a major movie in a long time. Exactly, and the man needs to pivot. And what better place to pivot than a Spider-Man movie, mm-hmm. than a Marvel movie, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't know. I, I it's weird because I don't necessarily see him as Norman Osborn completely i think he could pull it off but like if you're getting matt damon i'd want him to be more of you know a hand-to-hand athletic um you know brawler type that could go toe-to-toe with spidey because i think okay. that'd, that'd fit his mo more but also like you said like you know he's getting up there not so that he's like you know this old man but you know he's not in his prime anymore um he's in his, he's in his like what late 40s right yeah he's old okay i mean I don't want to. I don't want to say he's too old, you know, to do this role or anything. But, you know, like yeah, like what's he doing? Literally nothing. So why? I don't know. Why would you pass on this? I think the interesting thing about this, though, you know, two years ago on the pod we were talking about Michael Keaton in talks for Homecoming. Oh, yeah. Then like a week later, Michael Keaton not doing Homecoming, mm-hmm. and then two weeks after that, Michael Keaton is doing Homecoming. What do you right. know? So I'm hoping we get that same thing and that yeah. for whatever reason, Marvel and Sony just like can't lock down their first choice for a villain right. for a Spider-Man movie until he passes and then you have to, you know, he comes back around because he's like, you know what, guys? Yeah. Or the internet really <laughs> wants me to do this or really my agent and my family really want me to do this and get mm-hmm. a big paycheck. Right. So, okay, I will, I will be your villain. Yeah, or maybe it could just be like a technique that Sony has in negotiations yeah. with actors. They lowball them first, and they all pass, and then they're like, "All right." They give them these great pitches. You're gonna you're gonna be this great villain. You only have to do one movie. You don't have to sign mm-hmm. this two long contract. 
but we're only give you two million dollars. Like what? Yeah. No. And they're like, okay, we'll give you twenty. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll do it. You drive a hard bargain. Yeah. Like it was literally ten seconds. I just sat here. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's how it works out. Um, because it, plus it would also give I think Matt Damon a new sort of role to play. Like he doesn't really play the villain unless you want to count like Suburbicon. Because right. like he's not a good guy there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still the lead of the movie, but he's not a good guy. So like, I think it'd be interesting to see him like switch it up and be the villain, whether it is Norman Osborn or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's a role that Matt Damon could use for his career. If he ever wants to get Jason Bourne two made, like right. doing this and getting you know a great review for like, wow, you know Matt Damon was one of the best villains the MCU's done, or at least mm-hmm. one of the top tier. That's gonna help. Um, plus I, I, I don't think it's a, a, you know, coincidence that he did the Thor Ragnarok cameo, had a blast on set and then Marvel talked to him about doing another role. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. So, uh, speaking of villains in the MCU though, Dr. Strange writer, Robert C. Cargill revealed in the Q and a, um, after a screening in Austin, Texas, that him and director Scott Derrickson are planning to have Nightmare be the villain in Doctor Strange 2. Additionally, <gasps> they confirmed, or he confirmed that as long as they're able to do their version, they actually are able to make the sequel, mm-hmm. um, that that'll be the plan, but also Baron Mordo, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, will be back in a very big role, and that Marvel, even if they don't do their version, he knows that Marvel wants Baron Mordo around for the long haul and has very big plans for him to be this Loki-esque, you know, three-dimensional villain that can play both sides and, you know, last for several years in the MCU. Is this exciting? A nightmare on Bleecker Street? <laughs> yes? <gasps> sure. I'm all about that. Um, I think we talked about, did we talk about it on the pod, that they were considering this? Nightmare? Yeah. I, be- I believe we've talked about this. Okay, absolutely. And I, I mean, what an awesome aspect for dr strange to have to hunt down Mm -hmm. it's very it's very granular it can take place in a different dimension which absolutely it should because that's what he's all about and it allows scott derrickson to dive into weirdness and horror and it could be the first you know horror film genre that marvel takes a stab at right and if you're not going to do it with the you know the demon of dreams and nightmares uh who are you going to do it with? Where else are you going to have a chance to get this done at? I mean, he's arguably, I mean, I don't know. I guess I don't know Marvel's entire, um, you know. Their catalog of villains. Catalog of villains, yes. But he sounds like the scariest and like with the most potential mm-hmm. of all of them uh, to go for it. So yeah. let's do it. Um, I'm just checking my notes, and we have actually not talked about this before. Okay, yeah, Susan, I thought... We've actually, apparently, never talked about Doctor Strange 2 before. Really? This is the first time? <laughs> apparently. Okay. Well, I know we spoke about it off, um, offline, I think off-air. We, I think we talked about it probably in the... Rev- Did we do a review for Doctor Strange, or were we not around then? We were around then, yes. Okay. We're getting too old for this. Yeah, that, uh, was, that, was, that was year one, I think. I'm pretty uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it was. Um, so, but so, anyway. Yeah, I think we probably talked about it then, because like... Scott Derrickson's been very upfront that like if we get the chance, I would really like to do mm-hmm. Nightmare, but now like Cargill's actually like, no, like he's definitely the big bad, which is exciting. Absolutely. So I I mean, yeah, I think that Nightmare, like you said, he could open up obviously a new dimension, bring in the nightmare realm, the dream dimension, whatever you want to call it, and really be able to mess with people. 
whether it's Doctor Strange's mind and having this come after Avengers 4, where like probably Doctor Strange has seen mm-hmm. a couple, if not dozens of heroes die right. at the hand of Thanos. Like how fun would that be to, or not, not necessarily fun for us as the audience, but like how interesting would it be for Doctor Strange then to have to kind of Iron Man through this and go through a PTSD of like having dreams of all of this happening before and seeing his like his friends for sure. people that he battled alongside die over and over again. Or it'd be a fun way to bring some people back be like as like nightmarish versions of themselves oh, potentially. Yeah. Uh, that could be really cool. Like if Chris Evans dies, but they're like, mm-hmm. but Chris is like, Oh, you know, I'm kind of missing this after a year. They'd right. Be like, what you want to come do a quick cameo, Dr. Strange too, but be like an evil version of cap. Yeah. Like, that'd be fun. Um, and I'm also excited that, uh, Baron Mordo is clearly lined up for a big role because Chuatel is incredible. And I really loved Mordo in Dr. Strange. The turn he makes makes absolute sense because he's very by the books as a sorcerer. Mm-hmm. So then him to be like, all right, I'm still here. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm rebalancing the magic forces on earth basically right. by stealing people's magic away who are using it inappropriately. Like yeah. that makes sense to me. And I want to see him play that forward, especially based on Cargill's comments that like, it doesn't sound like Mordo would definitely be a villain in the sequel. Like there's, there's that chance for like, mm-hmm. he could side with nightmare and help like bring him into the world or help him spread his powers. But there's also the chance that like him and Dr. James would have to like make this reluctant alliance and be like, all right, I can't really trust you, but I don't really have a choice. Cause I need me and Wong need help. Hopefully Wong's still alive after infinity war. Hope, yeah. Like we need help defeating this guy played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Fingers crossed. Ooh, that would be fantastic. That's only if he doesn't play Batman, probably. But sure. I mean, I mean, hey, you can have come a on, book. come Ooh. on, come uh, on, Jake. He can come over for a CGI villain role. I mean, that that wouldn't be too bad. I don't know. I don't. You don't, You probably wouldn't have to go that CG. You just like make him go to his like nightmare or not his nightmare night crawler oh, already the night connection yes. have him go to his night crawler physique you know he's kind of he's he's skinnier he's got those bony cheeks mm-hmm. it's like he just has that nightmarish quality to him right already or even like i mean this is jumping in a way out there and way out of the realm but like even like a detective sort of thing attitude where nightmares just start cropping up all over new york city yeah. and it's kind of like a nor fil- i mean oh that, that, there's so much potential there's, for there's, this dude. there's a lot of fun to be had i mean i even think I mean, we're not, this isn't, you know, a section tonight to fan cast Nightwatch, but, or, jeez, Nightwatch. Nightmare. So many different nights. Right. Uh, yeah, Nightmare. Like, Kevin Bacon would be really fun. Ooh, yeah, uh, he would. Ethan Hawke worked with Scott Derrickson on Sinister. There you have Hawk. that connection. Ethan Hawke would be really fun as well. So, like, and, like, again, he still has that superhero card to play. He mm-hmm. hasn't been in one. So, like, it'd be fun to see that happen. Um, we'll have to wait and see, obviously, what the plans hold for Doctor Strange 2, Marvel's yet to even confirm this movie's happening, let right. alone that Derrickson's going to direct it, let alone that Cargill's writing it as well. So, like, there's still a lot of confirmations that need to happen before mm-hmm. this is actually confirmed. But if this is a sequel we get, I I like where it's heading. Yeah. So, speaking of more cast Ooh. in the MCU, Captain Marvel got its official cast this week, courtesy of Marvel, as it started filming. As we covered before, the cast... Uh, confirmation included confirmation that Brie Larson, Sam Jackson, Ben Mendelsohn, Jude Law, Lashana Lynch, and Gemma Chan are all on board. It also revealed the additions of Algenis Perez Soto, Rune Tempte, and McKenna Grace. 
Ooh, hey. Three we never talked about before, but most exciting, the returns of Jamon Hansu as Korath the Pursuer, Lee Pace as Ronan the Accuser, and my boy, Clark Gregg, back in the 90s hey. as Phil Coulson. I mean, the, the the Clark Gregg aspect of it, honestly, is like the most exciting news we got this week for me. Okay. Because like... I'm a huge Clark Gregg fan. I love Coulson from Phase One. Mm-hmm. His death in Avengers. Spoiler alert: If you haven't seen Avengers, you're crazy. Uh, it's devastating. But then they brought him back for Agents of the Shield. Agents Shield rocks. It's so fun and weird. Um, and now, since like he's not getting, you know, Marvel Studios has been very reluctant to give any sort of bone to the TV side. And be like, all right, yeah. we can include you guys in a cameo here. We mm-hmm. can, you know jump off this plot point you did here nothing they're not addressing it daredevil doesn't exist according to the movies whatever but like colson come back in the 90s as a younger version super fun and i'm really happy for clark Gregg to get him back in the big screen that way yeah and it's not it's not the um predicted martin freeman appearance yeah it's something even better yeah and that sort of point does this point us towards like early day shield type Mm-hmm. formation stuff oh yeah awesome 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 um even lee pace coming back uh come on lee pace is great yeah exactly and he was so i mean like the dude getting shut down in the first guardians movie was like okay they really didn't even get a yeah. chance to it's my biggest complaint with guardians let the man act yeah and now he's back and i don't know if i don't know if it was planned by then or, or not but it, it <laughs> no per- way no there's no way but what a perfect way to do that mm-hmm. let us get more of that villain um especially i'm, I'm just glad lee's coming back for it right because i would be ticked and be like oh, well, why would i want to do that but that means i don't know maybe he's he's not exactly the big bad that he was maybe he's no. a little bit less so mm-hmm. and maybe he's not gooped up and all that heavy armor and makeup i mean he's got to be blue he's got his look right but he can be a little different yeah. too and maybe lee pace can bring in a very tragic backstory because this home world blew up right no that's thanos yeah that's uh well anyway point being these are all great additions but yeah. especially Clark greg i mean he's not dead not but, yet. <laughs> right. But he's he's alive again, uh, this time around. He's still alive in the 90s. <laughs> I wonder, yeah. I've, I've got questions about how his appearance is going to be played in the films. It'd be like, oh, this is just young Clark Gregg. Or is it going to be like, wink, wink, this is young Clark Gregg. You know what I mean? I don't know what you mean. I'd be like, hey, we know you're watching the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. Oh, and he's okay. alive there. But are they going to pretend it's sort of just like a more ominous Oh, you're Clark Gregg. Right. You're going to love the Avengers and everything <laughs> they can do type of a deal. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that gets played off in the script. I like the idea that, you know, because Coulson's gone on to do some very crazy stuff on S.H.I.E.L.D. that, like, in Captain Marvel, he just, like, gets the introduction to this. Yeah. And, like, he gets to meet Carol Danvers. He's introduced to, like, the concept of aliens being out there mm-hmm. and having these wars. And then, like, that's what gets him interested in S.H.I.E.L.D. And then... You know, when we see him 20 years later in Iron Man, it's like, I'm dealing with a guy in a metal suit. Like, this is no problem. Right. I got this on lockdown. Oh, like, yeah. That makes sense. It makes him so much more confident when he's like, hands him the cards yeah. of like what he's been doing and where he, uh, what his alibi is. Yeah. And everything. I, I think he even said like, this isn't our first rodeo or something. So yep. like, there, there are those like 
weird connections you can make between the movies that like obviously weren't intended back when Iron Man was made. Like mm-hmm. we know we're gonna tie in these lines or like <laughs> right. in Winter Soldier when Fury says, "Last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye." Like there's no way in when they're making that movie in 2013 they knew. But in 2019, we're going to have Captain Marvel and Nick Fury is going to be in there and we're going to have him lose his eye by trusting somebody who's actually a scroll. Yeah. And like it all ties together that way. They didn't know that back then. But I do like, like you mentioned, the bringing back Lee Pace and Digimon Hansu. Like you get the potential to add more backstory to these characters. So when you go see Guardians again, it's like, oh, I, I watched Captain Marvel again. Now I know this backstory on these characters that we didn't really get in guardians yeah so now i understand them more or even could make them more menacing because like it's the kree scroll war they're both on the side of the kree but like by the time guardians comes around that's going to be 20 years later uh yeah. after captain marvel so like what at what point did they defect from the kree empire and like become these zealots and these like outliers like they could explore that and set that turn up um they could also have like you know ronin be like this guy who's like in charge of the Kree army, but then like him and Ben Mendelsohn are like butting heads the whole time. Cause they have these different viewpoints of how this war should play out or how they should go about it. And like, yeah. there's just all this fun to be had. And, uh, and then also too, like we get to talk about the strategic homeland intervention enforcement and logistics division. And like, <laughs> yeah. That'll be a mouthful for everyone. So it'll be uh, funny if like <laughs> they reference how it's like, it's terrible. It's a terrible name then. Yeah. And then like, we should really come up with something. And then like 20 years later, they finally figured yeah. out. <laughs> then then Iron Man tells him again, 20 years later, Hey, it's, this is a terrible name. They're like, trust us. Yeah. <laughs> We've heard it before. Right. We're working on we, it. We know. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's fun. And uh, I like uh, just you know, under the radar casting McKenna Grace, girl from uh, Gifted with Chris Evans. She's also the younger version of Tanya Harding and Natanya. Oh yeah, like she's very talented. So like whether she's a young Carol Danvers or there's this character in the comics uh, named Kit who's like Carol Danvers' biggest fan, um, you could have her play either one of those and have it be uh, exciting and a little fun role for her to play as well. So uh, we have to move on though. We still got some big news to talk about. Uh, Fox. Bless their hearts. (sighs) They're just doing weird stuff with the X-Men because this week they announced that Dark Phoenix has been pushed back three months. Supposed to come out this November. Now coming out next February, February 14th, 2019. Uh, Collider and comicbook.com have since reported uh, separately, but both basically saying the same thing. That this is because there's a lot of reshoots that need to be done for this movie, mm-hmm. but that it's not necessarily a cause for concern. The delay portion of this, because the delay is because Sophie Turner is currently filming the final season of game of Thrones. And as Jean gray, AKA dark Phoenix, uh, you know, she is very <laughs> yes. much needed for the third act of this movie. And since that is where the focus of these reshoots are going to take place, uh, they need her. But her Game of Thrones schedule won't be won't let her be available to film until August. So then you're leaving like three months to film, edit, do VFX work and everything on whatever you reshoot. Mm-hmm. So instead of sticking to that date, they're like, hey, Deadpool did really well in February. Yeah. Black Panther just did really well in February. Same weekend. That weekend's free. Let's just bump it. Yeah. Give us three more months of post. Not don't have to rush it. We don't have to have a Justice League mustache situation on our hands potentially. <laughs> uh, we can take our time. 
So I don't really think this is that bad. No, I'm not concerned about it at all. Even if I'm like, come on, Fox. Like, <laughs> right. It's just it 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 um it plays into the narrative that they have like they're kind of out of they're chaotic right now. Right. And they're not. And, yeah, and it sparks just, those rumors that oh, this is Disney. Right. It's it's just super hectic scheduling that Mm -hmm. has not played in their favor at all yeah um so yeah i mean i'm still just hesitant on this movie in general for the reasons of fox x-men films Mm -hmm. not because reshoots or anything like that yeah i mean i this is actually smart yeah i I would probably agree i don't i mean i wasn't particularly excited for this movie anyways so like this is actually makes me make me wait three more months i don't care (laughs) like and then like it actually makes me think this could be a better movie because yeah. of this. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, it's 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 always difficult to judge these things in hindsight, but, you know, like, after Zack Snyder, you know, left Justice League, if they had been like, we're bringing Joss on, he's going to reshoot a lot of this movie, we're going to delay it until next summer, people would have been upset, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you wouldn't have had to worry about the Mission Impossible lap, lap over, like, right. The CGI mustache wonder, but probably you'd have more time to finish Steppenwolf's VFX, all this stuff. Um, but who's to say that it would actually have helped the movie at all? Um, speaking of a movie that's getting delayed again and again and again, also from Fox, it's The Mutants, the movie that was number five on my most anticipated list yeah. this year. Has now been delayed again from February 2019 as Dark Phoenix has taken its slot. It is now going to come out. Mm. In August nineteenth, twenty nineteen. Oh, we should have seen this movie by now, right? Yeah, it's it Next was originally week. supposed to come out in a week or two. Yeah, wow. By the time this movie hits theaters, I think the first teaser would have come out two years. Jeez, which is insane. Yeah, but this is a good delay, I think. Okay. Um. I the all indications are from the information that is out there mm-hmm. that the first movie they shot was no way in line or is in some ways in line with what Josh Boone wanted originally wanted. He wanted hard R, but he yeah. said this will be a hard PG thirteen. We're really pushing the boundaries. Yes, but then so yeah, initially he wanted the hard R. Yeah. Then Fox is like no. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to water it down to hard PG-13. But then they did that first teaser trailer, which was very much, here's a horror movie. Right. And according to comicbook.com again, they said that the delay is because they're going to reshoot a lot of this movie, potentially up to 50% of it, add multiple new characters. And then tracking board came in and said that these reshoots will focus on the first half of the movie because the second half is mostly locked um which i don't understand how it's really possible uh, if you're going to add more characters i mean they all died right. the first half of the movie whatever um but that the reason for the delay the reshoots all this stuff is because people really responded to that first teaser trailer it's mm-hmm. why it climbed so high on my, on my most anticipated list of this year but and then but that wasn't the movie that the movie actually was like they cut it to make it look like a horror movie but really it was like a just a, a dark coming a, of age teen story yeah. is what I heard. Yeah. So, but then after it came out, broke box office records, they're like, Hey, Josh Boone, remember <laughs> your initial pitch? Okay. You can do that. Oh, no biggie. Man. Um, and so now they're reshooting it with the hard going for the R rating. Um, you know, 
beefing up the horror, the blood, the scares, all that stuff that Boone initially wanted to do. They're yeah. adjusting course. So, okay. But it's just like, Fox, you could have had this done the, the right way the first time. So now, this movie that should have cost you really cheap, you're going to reshoot like two times, mm-hmm. delay multiple times, pay people a lot of money to you know add on additional reshoots that weren't initially in their contracts. So, like... This movie's budget keeps climbing, <laughs> yeah. which makes the you know the potential profits even less so. Especially now that it's coming out, it's supposed to be in August of 2019. Like that's so far away. The Disney deal could very well close by the end of this year. Does the movie even hit theaters? Still yeah. for debate. I don't I mean, know. You got some cost at this point. Yeah, but they could just put research. it to their streaming service. They don't have that much faith in it. And Marvel Studios wants to integrate the X Men really quickly. <clears throat> It'd be best not to keep putting action movies in theaters telling people hey these franchises are still going that's a good point but if you're confident you can get six six hundred million out of it mm-hmm. you know domestic or not domestic but you know worldwide, worldwide i think you gotta go for yeah. it yeah um but yeah unless they like completely gutted boone's original movie this is just the best news ever. Okay. And if I'm Boone, I am ticked at them. Like yeah. super mad that they're they're they rejected his original pitch. And they're like, Oh no, yeah, come back in, like you said. Yeah. And then him he's just gotta be rolling his eyes thinking I could be, you know, halfway mm-hmm. into pre production on my next film or whatever else right. I want to do. Because he has like three or four projects lined up. Yeah. And this movie and it should have come out this year in like uh, two weeks, like He's already spent two, three years of his life on it. Now he's mm-hmm. going to spend another two years on it. Like that's, that's a long time to focus on one single project. Yeah, and I'm so, not sure what his next projects are being. Um, I mean, one of them is a Stephen King adaptation. That's um, right. I can't remember what the other ones the are. The Talisman. I think so. Okay. Um, but more on New Mutants. Uh, tracking board also re- revealed details that. In the initial shoot of New Mutants, they had locked down John Hamm to appear in a post-credit scene Ooh. as Mister Sinister, <gasps> which has now been scrapped. Uh, and now Antonio Banderas will appear as an unknown villain that is not Mister Sinister, because now there's rumors that maybe Jessica Chastain will be Miss Sinister in Dark Phoenix. Who knows? But I mean, John Hamm. Could he appear as Mr. Sinister in like that Gambit movie that ever happens? Or is that just like totally off the table and now Antonio Banderas is like, I'm the new bad guy if we ever get to do more of these. Yeah. Well losing John Hamm is a blow. But Antonio Banderas is a perfectly good um way to make up for it. He's great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean he hasn't been doing anything lately in mainstream like no. American film that a lot of people would like respond to, mm-hmm. I guess. But once people see the dad from Spy Kids out there yeah. again, they'll be like, oh, this guy's great. That's you know? all he'll ever be to me. Right. I mean, like, he can do that epic drama about Chilean miners, but no, <laughs> no, no, that's Spy Kid, Dad. Yep. I know you. He's undercover in that mine. <laughs> Watch out for the thumbs. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think, I don't, he, he, him as a villain will be fantastic. Yeah, it'd be really fun. Um, that, moving on. Steven Spielberg going back to him in promotion for Ready Player One. He told EW that Colin Trevorrow is going to direct Jurassic World 3, making him the second director to Steven Spielberg to ever direct two installments of the franchise. 
you're you don't have a good look on your face, Josh. No, I don't. I mean, okay, this is fine. Yeah, I just I'm not excited about Colin Trevorrow. Ever? Uh, no, I mean he, he the first one was great. Like you know, I just I want to see this franchise develop across multiple visions and directors. Right. He's already writing the script with uh, Emily, Emily Carmichael. Carmichael. So that's cool. That's great. I've got her voice added to there, but let's let someone else add their voice to the director's chair. Maybe yeah. please. Yeah. I, I think this is, uh, I don't know. I'm interested to see if this sticks. I mean, this announcement comes I mean, two years before this movie's going to start shooting, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Theaters till July 2021. Right. There's plenty of time for a change to happen. Um, I think it's funny, kind of, that he left Star Wars. Star Wars brought back J.J. Abrams, who directed the first installment of this trilogy. Right. Now he's back with Jurassic World franchise again, directing the final chapter of his trilogy that he started. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, <laughs> some interesting symmetry there. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I said when we talked about this movie being confirmed to be happening that Carmichael was writing. I thought that she would be the director. Um, if they're going to go with one of the writers, because there's never been a female director on a Jurassic world movie, Jurassic park, whatever. And I mean, why there's not really, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason for that to be the case. And, you know, they, they gave the keys to Jay Bayona for the sequel Mm -hmm. You know, is he gonna? Is, did he Ryan Johnson it? Blow up the universe? Walk away? Who right. knows? We'll have to wait and see. Um, but I think I don't know. I just feel like it's weird that they gave it to Bayona and they're like, "All right, Trevor, come back, wrap it up." I don't know. I think it's. I think it's just a weird thing to do. It makes um, me wonder if he would have just directed all three films if Lucasfilm oh, hadn't so. asked him to do Star yeah, Wars Nine, probably, or at least he would have directed the second one, right? And then. If that, I mean, but and that's the thing. If it, if he directs the second one, second one's a big hit. There's no way he's not directing the third one, unless right. then he got the Star Wars gig. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think it would have been very possible in some alternate in Earth Two. Colin Trevorrow directs all three of these movies, but here on our Earth, you know, yeah, he's well, doing the first and last one. Hopefully, World Two, Fallen Kingdom is great, and then we can say, oh, at least there was some kind of invasion. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't. I want to hammer on him too hard. Yeah, but it's just not a. Um, daring bold choice no and it's 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 weird it's weird because like i don't know i don't want to say like you don't you know he he doesn't deserve this job or anything but like i don't know it just seems it just seems weird to for him to come back to this book of henry got really bad reviews then there was like him and lucasfilm weren't seeing eye to eye anymore so like what is it about jurassic world and universal that works for him or that he's able to work with or whatever i don't know yeah um We'll have to wait and see, obviously, what happens, but I am not 100% confident that this will stick. Okay. Um, maybe we'll that's just, Maybe that's just me being hopeful and being like, maybe they'll get, finally give somebody else a shot. But. For sure. It is weird, like, that Spielberg announced it, though, yeah. too, or he was so he said it, like, offhand like that. Because mm-hmm. um, if he's saying it, I almost feel like when he when he does put something out there, it's, like, fact at that point. Right. It's it's etched in stone along with like the 10 commandments mm-hmm. and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah. Cause so. I think I also threw out like Michelle McLaren's. Oh not, yeah. Uh, Michelle McLaren's name. Cause she would be done by done Dun- with Dun- Vikings. Ninja cowboy Viking, whatever yes. <laughs> yeah. cowboy ninja Viking. That's every what awesome, you know, thing uh, that exists. Yeah. I thought her Maybe. or Carmichael could have been great choices potentially, uh, for this. So, and speaking of directors, star Wars, 
We got more dra- more drama about Solo. Potential details right. from a Vulture article from an anonymous actor who mm-hmm. worked with Lord and Miller on Solo. But then we're also involved in what Ron Howard reshot. Yes. Uh, what I don't want to go over everything because it's a lot of stuff we've kind of heard before. But what was your, kind of your biggest takeaway from this? Uh, my, my biggest takeaway was... <laughs> uh, yeah, see, this is the thing. It just sounds like somebody gossiping. And I don't know. What who to make who of it. was it? <laughs> I don't know. Like my my but my gut is like it's Chewbacca. Oh, it's um, it's Jonas or whatever his name. Yeah, is? That, I'm like maybe that's who that no. is. But uh, I mean I don't know. I just like the maybe idea. It's, it's Donald Glover. No. After after Disney canceled his no. Deadpool series on Fox, they're like, you know what? He's like, all right, I'm gonna spill the beans. <laughs> no, that's not him. They said it was not a marquee actor. But if you're Vulture, you say it's. I mean, Vulture wouldn't lie. No. But they do say he throughout the entire article, okay. which almost feels like it could be a misdirection, but right. I don't know how culture reporting. Is it Woody Harrelson? <laughs> I don't know. Nah. Nah, he's Marquee. Uh, if anybody, though, I mean, it could have been like a moniker for Thandie Newton, but I don't know, she doesn't strike me as a person who would yeah. talk. It's got to be somebody like, you know, um, small enough, but also just, I have no idea who it was. Yeah, but, but anyway... anyway it sounds like everything we've heard. Lord and Miller. Um, the, the one thing they said, Lord and Miller were out of their depth. Yeah. Maybe, probably, possibly, um, with dealing with big sets and large budgets and things like that uh, in action sequences and having a very tight schedule mm-hmm. where you're paying. I mean, it's a $100 million film, so every second on that film counts with yeah. extras, doubles, all of that. Mm-hmm. That maybe sounds like it as long as well as, you know, the 30 takes yeah marquee which makes sense for comedy but other than that i was just kind of like oh this is just somebody throwing um gas on a fire mm-hmm. that you know has basically died off at this point right i think yeah a lot of this for me wasn't like new it was more kind of what we've heard before from other more not i mean can't we say this guy's unreliable i mean even though we don't know who this person is but like if they're on set, that's probably the most reliable, you know, yeah. kind of pitch we can get. But this just, I don't know, this is kind of read the wrong way for me that like it, it very much painted Lord and Miller as like the bad guys yeah. and very much Ron Howard's our Lord and savior. Um, he, he, he saved this movie. He's, he's a real director kind of. I'm like, yeah, like the incompetent part, like you're telling me Lord and Miller like are over like they're not prepared for this like i don't i don't buy that Mm -hmm. i don't know like maybe that's me being you know foolish but like i don't know to me lord and miller seem like guys that would yeah they probably have a freer set but there's no way you can tell me that they weren't prepared to like handle a set or a shoot of this size like that just doesn't that doesn't make sense to me like you know not to say 21 and 22 jump street have the same size and depth as a Star Wars movie because mm-hmm. it's, it's it's apples and oranges. But I still think it's like you know we've seen other directors make this jump so many times. That like right, you're and like you have you just have more assistant directors. You have more people you can kind of help delegate towards. Like it's not like they're asked to do everything unless that's what they did. That's what their approach was. They're mm-hmm. like eight, you know, assistant director, second assistant director, third assistant director. You guys don't need to come in today. We got this on lockdown, and right. like really, they don't. Maybe, but like that still, that doesn't 
that doesn't seem like that's how they would operate. So that like, to me, it was reading this and I'm just like, I don't know. It, it seemed, it seemed very anti Lord and Miller, very pro Ron Howard, which I guess would be the sentiment you'd want. Right. Um, at this point, because why paint Ron Howard in a bad light or whatever, but like at the same time, why throw more kind of shade at Lord and Miller in the <laughs> process? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it just feels like an unnecessary hit piece that I really yeah. don't think Vulture should have even bothered with, uh, no. honestly. And like, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe this is Kazdin or Kazdin's <laughs> kid, you know, um, yeah, maybe. striking back. But they also take digs at Einrich. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I, it just comes from a whole lot of weird places. And even even with the dig at Aaron Reich, they were like, it's not that he was bad, but then like once Ron Howard was on board, mm-hmm. he tur- he f- you know he he turned the switch on. It's right. like, I mean, I guess I don't know. I've never been on a film set, but like to me, it just it's so crazy to me to think that Lord Miller were so overwhelmed that they turned into these crap directors and managers I mean, on you're, solo you're in you're in lucasfilm machine and you're telling me that all of their pre-production was them goofing off or goofing around right. and not you know preparing themselves for something like and that. and if it was again how come this decision like how come this you know difference wasn't cleared up earlier on and how i mean lord miller would be blacklisted yeah, you know, I mean, from Hollywood, it would almost seem like if they were just They'd have com- to go the Josh Trank route, completely unprofessional. Yeah, yeah. So that, that that's why I'm just befuddled by this, and I don't, I'm not taking it, you know, um, as gospel mm-hmm. in any way. Uh, so I don't we'll, know. We'll see. I mean, whether it's Ready Player Two or right. whatever they yeah. do next, I'm still very excited for, for Lord sure. Miller's careers. And even when I was coming back from Florida last week. Um, in the like um, store area of the airport, they mm-hmm. I saw like on a book stand Artemis, the that science fiction novel they're adapting, and I was like, from anywhere, yeah, yeah, and I was like, oh, I kind of want to buy that, and, but then like right when I was considering buying it, like we had a board, I was like, well, <laughs> this wasn't meant to be. <laughs> um, so that's all the news we have this week. Uh, long episode, so gotta gotta end it here before we sign off. Though, Josh, do you know what we're reviewing next week? Uh, I forgot. I think it's a good movie though. It is a quiet movie <gasps> oh a quiet place directed yeah. by john krasinski I, starring... i'm assuming fingers crossed we're getting it i think we are i think so horror movies usually go wide yeah. immediately because they're you know a very they're, popular they're, genre they're cheap and everybody goes to cheap. see them especially pg-13 ones right so uh i'm very excited for a quiet place because john krasinski mm-hmm. it's getting great reviews yep trailers have locked me in and i i can't wait yeah absolutely um so that we'll also be back this week with a big question. And I mentioned Donald Glover earlier yes. and his Deadpool series getting canceled, which sparked our big question this week. Should Donald Glover write and or direct Deadpool three? So that'll be a fun one to talk about. See where we fall on that argument side. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode though, or any of our future episodes or any of our past episodes, please head over to iTunes, give us a five star review and then, you know, subscribe there as well. And then share retweet and everything else you can do on social media, share these episodes. Um, and then be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered by tweeting us at friends of film. You can follow me personally on Twitter at movie Cooper and coops underscore hoops. And you can get at me, Josh and just Joshua Ryan. Thanks again for tuning in to the friends of film podcast, Josh. Thanks for stopping in everyone. Be sure to turn next week for our view of a quiet place. Thank you.